This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. Or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Well, thank you, Tibu, and good afternoon to you all. It's surprising, isn't it, how many sayings that we use on a regular basis um, and during the course of our everyday conversation actually have their roots back in the Bible. So sayings such as the blind leading the blind was a phrase which Jesus used. Can a leopard change his spots? Well, I thought that came from Aesop's fables, but no, it was in Jeremiah. And a fly in the ointment, well, that comes from Ecclesiastes and the words of Solomon. So there's a whole series of phrases, all of which have their roots in the pages of the Bible. In fact, one list that I looked at on the internet, it contained 122 different phrases which we regularly use, which actually have their roots in the Bible, some of which still have exactly the same meaning as they did when they were written all those years ago, and others which have been reinterpreted somewhat and now carry with them a slightly different meaning as against how they were originally understood. So, famous sayings, a peace offering. I asked around a little bit on this one. Um, I'm not so sure that it's as famous as we think it might be because uh, one or two of the girls at work didn't know what a peace offering was at all. Um, maybe they're girls that I asked that are maybe not married or haven't got husbands that have brought flowers on occasions because that's the normal context, isn't it, in which we would um, usually apply the phrase of peace offering nowadays. That classic example of a man who has in some way offended his wife and who then visits a florist with the thought that bringing home a bunch of flowers will help to smooth things over and restore marital harmony. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So the flowers really are a way of saying sorry, aren't they? And they're acknowledging a way of acknowledging an error or a misjudgment or of having said something which should have remained unsaid. So the flowers are a token to restore peace in a relationship. Well, if we look up peace offering in a dictionary of phrases, we'll find a definition which fits in very clearly with that example. The defi definition that I found stated that a peace offering is a propitiatory, I can't say that word, propitiatory or conciliatory gift. Oh dear. That's one of those definitions, isn't it, that we almost need a dictionary for to actually understand the definition. So looking up the words propitiation and conciliatory gives us these definitions. And this is where this afternoon, unfortunately, I'm lacking my uh, PowerPoint projection. But propitiate is to make someone pleased or less angry by giving or saying something desired. So that's very much as with the flowers, isn't it? And conciliatory... Um, means with the intent to placate or to, to pacify. And of course, that is the aim of the flowers, isn't it? To, to placate or, or to pacify um, your wife, your partner, because of um, something that's gone on. So we now understand the modern idea of a peace offering, don't we? It's a gesture or a way of saying sorry for something which has happened or has been said with the intent then of regaining the favour of the person to whom the peace offering is being made. 
Well, with that in mind, let's now turn to the pages of the Bible and to the part of the Bible where God's people, the children of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, were given God's law to follow. It's often called the law of Moses, not because it consists of regulations which Moses himself decided upon, but simply because it was Moses who brought this law to the people. It was a law which God had given to him on Mount Sinai, and God then uh, and Moses then spoke forth that law to the people so that they could understand it. And it was duly written down. And an important part of the law was the various sacrifices which the people were required to bring to the Lord on a regular basis. Let's just think about sacrifice for a minute or two. Because living as we do in the 21st century, offering sacrifices might seem a strange thing to do, particularly as it involves taking the life of an animal. Now, back in Bible times, the wealth of a man, it was a much less materialistic society, but um, it was possible to tell the wealth of a man by the amount of animals and herds that he had, so the herds and, and the size of his flocks and so on. And the people recognised these animals, they recognised those possessions, they recognised that they had been given to them by God. So when making a sacrifice of one of these animals to the Lord, there was an underlying understanding on behalf of the people that they were actually giving back to God what God had given to them. And that's an important point to remember. And sacrifices were a way of allowing an individual to acknowledge their dependence on God in their daily lives. Making a sacrifice was a way of showing recognition that God was providing for them day by day because the animals and the other things which were offered, and it wasn't always animals, but mostly, they were the things, the very things, weren't they, which kept the people alive. The animals provided meat and they also provided skins which would be used as clothes. And that, of course with a bit of little, uh, little lateral thinking, takes us right back to the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, doesn't it? Where Adam and Eve, having sinned before the Lord, they felt naked before him, and they hid from him. And what did God do? He provided for them. His response was to provide skins as clothing. So that involved, of course, the killing of an animal. And through that killing of an animal, God was able to provide skins as coverings for them. The Lord was providing for their most basic needs, food and clothing. And giving an, an animal back to the Lord through sacrifice was a way to acknowledge this. It's also important that we appreciate that God didn't take pleasure in sacrifices for the sake of sacrifice. Now it's true that some of the sacrifices in the Bible are described as being a sweet savour to the Lord or an aroma to the Lord. That gives the impression that God actually liked the smell of burning flesh. He doesn't mean that at all. What it meant was that God was pleased with those who had chosen to make the offering. He was pleased that they chosen to recognise him as the God of heaven and were acknowledging him and his goodness towards them. That was what was sweet about the sacrifice that was being made, that recognition that people were showing towards him. 
there's a really helpful verse if we just go to the book of Psalms and we're told that very clearly in Psalm 51 and verse 15. This is a a psalm of David. It was the occasion when um, the error of his ways in his sin with Bathsheba had been pointed out to him. And he said these words, verse 15 of Psalm 51. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So what that shows us, and incidentally I'm taking my references this afternoon from the ESV, the English Standard Version, what those verses emphasise for us is that what God is really looking for is a correct attitude of mind in serving him, and the understanding that all that we have from him is all that we have is is from the Lord and that we're dependent upon him for all aspects of our daily lives and we should approach him with the respect and the honour which he deserves therefore. Now when we come to look at the Old Testament in a little more detail um, in terms of these sacrifices we find that there were essentially five different sacrifices which the people were required to offer. Let's just think about those very briefly because it's going to help us appreciate where the peace offering that we've read about in Leviticus chapter 7 fits in. Each of the five offerings was for a slightly different purpose and it had a slightly different emphasis. Now it's true that some of the offerings were for propitiation. They they existed to gain God's favour but many of them was simply a way, as I've said, of acknowledging God's provision. But all of them, and this is important, all of them in some way pointed forward to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. Because he, as a perfect sacrifice, was a sacrifice once and for all. And he would do away with the need for sacrifices to be offered continually. Which is why we don't offer sacrifices today as part of our worship. That's been done for us through that perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. So these five Old Testament sacrifices then. And what I think is significant about those is the order in which the sacrifices are presented to us. Now in the section of the Bible where the sacrifices are first described to us, and we're we're looking at the, the, the opening chapters of Leviticus... First of all, um, they are described to us in one order, with the the peace offering coming third in the list. That's the section where um, the the sacrifices are are described in terms of what they should consist of. But in the section of the law where the people are told when the sacrifices should be offered, so this is a carrying out of the law, if you like, then the peace offering is described last. And we're going to see that that is significant. The peace offering was the final one. So these sacrifices in the early chapters of Leviticus. Firstly, we come to the burnt offering. The burnt offering showed that someone was consecrating or giving themselves to the Lord. It was described as being a free will offering. It was a way to show devotion and full commitment to serving the Lord. So that was the burnt offering. 
Then came, and, and there's a lot more to it than that, but obviously this afternoon we're, we're just looking at it in very much as a summary. The next offering that we're told about was the grain or, or, or the meal offering. In the authorised version, if you're following that, it's rather confusingly called the meat offering, even though it was the only offering which in fact didn't include any flesh of any sort. There is a reason why it's called the meat offering. It was all to do with going to meat. Um, but that offering was, was grains and pulses. Again, it was a voluntary act of worship. It was a very simple offering. It didn't have a ceremony particularly. It was simply an acknowledgement of God's provision. I guess in a sense it was very similar to the fact that before a meal we offer thanks to the Lord before sharing that meal together. And it also showed willingness to serve the Lord as as part of their, their daily routine in what the people were doing. So that was the grain, the meal, or, or this meat offering. And then there was the, the third offering. And the third offering which was to be offered was the sin offering. And there was no voluntary nature about this one. This one was an obligatory or mandatory offering. It had to be made. And it had to be made to help the people recognise their sinfulness before the Lord. And as with most of the offerings... The actual sacrifice, the actual animal um, or creature, because it was a bird in some cases, which was offered, depended on the personal circumstances of the worshipper. So it ranged from a young bull for when the high priest was aware of sin that had been committed to a very small offering of flour for the very poorest of the people. But it showed an acknowledgement of the sinful nature of the people in the eyes of the Lord. So that was the the sin offering. And then, with a similar name, we come to the guilt or the trespass offering. And this offering also related to sins. But whereas the sin offering was an acknowledgement of sinful nature, the guilt offering, well, that related to ten specific sins, which we read about in Leviticus chapters 5 and 6. So if particular sins, certain things were done by the people, committed by the people, then there was a prescribed offering which had to be made. So that was the guilt or the trespass offering. And then lastly, we come to the peace offering. It's last, and I think that's for a very particular reason, because only when a man had given himself to the Lord through the burnt offering and had then committed his talents and willingness to serving the Lord by way of the meal offering had acknowledged his sinful nature in the sin offering and had asked for forgiveness through the guilt offering, then and only then was a man in a position to enjoy peace with God, a position of joy and happiness, a position of having recognised all that God had done for mankind and the fellowship which we which could be enjoyed with God by those who'd come into an understanding of those things. So the peace offering wasn't an offering to make peace with God. It was an offering to celebrate the peace which had already been achieved through the other offerings and the things that they stood for. So what we can now appreciate is that the peace offering described to us in the Old Testament that we've just been looking at had a very different meaning to what we mean by peace offering today. 
Whereas we use the expression today in terms of trying to make peace with someone, we now understand that in the Old Testament, a peace offering was to celebrate the peace which had already been made through the bringing of other offerings and an understanding of um, the things of God by the individual concerned. The peace offering showed that understanding by the person making the offering. They understood their position before the Lord and they understood the fellowship which they could now share with the Lord, having given their lives in service and having recognised their own sinfulness in God's sight. And in some modern versions of the Bible, the peace offering is actually referred to as being a fellowship offering because that's what it was there to represent. Let's go back to Leviticus then, chapter 7, with those verses that we've read. And we actually read verses 11 to 18, but the detail of the peace offering carries on right through to nearly the end of the chapter. In fact, if we go back to chapter 3, the other place where the uh, peace offering is is mentioned, we see it described in, in, in a lot more detail. Now, we could spend a long time looking at all of those details, but for the purposes of this afternoon, we're just going to look at one or two more significant facts about peace offering we notice first of all Leviticus chapter 7 and well from verse 28 let me just read the Lord spoke to Moses saying speak to the people of Israel saying whoever whoever offers the sacrifice of his peace offerings to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offerings his own hands shall bring the Lord's food offerings Okay, so what we're told is that the person making the offering had to bring it with his own hands. That's exactly what it says. So he couldn't send someone on his behalf to the tabernacle. He had to come in person. And there's a lesson to that, isn't there? Because the lesson is that it reminds us that our salvation is a personal thing. It isn't something that we can gain by proxy. We each have to make our own answer before the Lord we're each responsible for our own actions we each have to make a a personal commitment just as that peace offering had to be brought in person to the Lord and the fact that the person making the offering had to come to the tabernacle or or, or to the temple in later times also emphasizes that our worship of the Lord is is something which should be done in the fellowship of others. It's not God's intention that we should worship him in in isolation, in the the privacy of our own homes, but rather that we should share in fellowship with other faithful believers, as we do here, week by week. So there's that element of fellowship, the coming together and sharing together. And interestingly, with the peace offering... Whereas most of the Old Testament offerings were, were not eaten by the worshippers themselves, but instead they were either entirely consumed on the altar, as with the burnt offering, but mostly they were used to actually provide food for the priests. But with the peace offering, there was only a part of the offering that was burned on the altar. A part was given to the priests, and the remainder of it was given back to the worshipper and to the poor and to the needy. And it was then to be eaten in the court of the tabernacle with with joy and rejoicing, thanking God for his goodness and his provision. And it was an opportunity to to be in fellowship with other worshippers. So it brings together the part that was offered to the Lord, the fellowship that we share with the Lord, with the priests who were um, 
intermediaries, as it were, taking those offerings, but also those others who were at the temple. So that it carries with it, this peace offering, this whole idea of fellowshipping together. Well, the details in Leviticus chapter 7 set out how the offerings were to be made, and they're quite precise in what should be brought and what should be done. And again, we can learn from that as well. Because it's important to recognise that the offerings and the worship of God are always done on his terms. God doesn't allow us to worship him or to thank him in the way of our choosing. It's always the Lord who sets out the parameters as to what is acceptable. And that is, of course, something which we do well to note in our worship of the Lord even today. The peace offering was a voluntary offering it was something which people could choose to do but there were in essence three circumstances or three reasons as to why the peace offering a peace offering would be made firstly as a thanksgiving offering to god for his deliverance in an hour of need we read about that in verse 12 of that chapter and thank offerings were sometimes given in gratitude for deliverance from sickness or or trouble of some kind or for, for a blessing received Secondly, it was an offering which could be made alongside a fulfilled vow. So you might remember the occasion when Hannah fulfilled her vow to the Lord by bringing Samuel to the temple for the work of the Lord. And on that occasion, she brought with her a peace offering to express the peace in her heart that she felt towards the Lord. The Lord had given her what she'd asked for. She'd she'd been given a son. And her peace offering was a way of saying... I have no resentment, Lord God. I'm holding nothing back in the fulfilment of my vow. Here is Samuel, just as I promised. And she said that through the peace offering that she made. Then there was a third reason that a peace offering could be made. It could be made simply as a free will offering, something that the worshipper was choosing to do as a way of acknowledging God's goodness. Perhaps as an expression of appreciation or rejoicing and acknowledging the peace and fellowship which they were able to celebrate with God. So let's bring our thoughts together then. What we've said is that we now understand that a peace offering in the Old Testament was a way to recognise peace with God rather than to make peace with him. It was a way of acknowledging God's provision for day-to-day needs and more importantly of God's provision of a way to share fellowship with with him whereas it was the other offerings that we looked at briefly which allowed sinfulness and disobedience before God to be covered over by the sin offering and the trespass and guilt offerings and so on the offerings which made propitiation because that's what they were for sin in a similar way which God made provision of animal skins to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness And so we need to think about how all of this applies to us. All of us are sinners before the Lord. We all have human nature, which means that we shall all fall short of living pleasing lives before the Lord. In the Old Testament, the people were able to confess their their need and their dependence on God through the system of sacrifices which we've talked about and which God had put in place. But each and every one of those sacrifices in some way looked forward 
to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, who was the perfect sacrifice once and for all. And it was through his sacrifice that the Lord Jesus established what we now call the new covenant with God. And in the new covenant, the law of God is is written on our hearts. Come with me, if you will, to the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians in chapter 3. We read there. Well, it's just picking things up in in, in the middle of a sentence, really. But he says there, "And and you show that you are a letter from Christ, he's saying to the Corinthians, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So what we're being told, that instead of the law being written on tablets of stone as it was in the Old Testament, instead of it being an external code which needed following, God's law is something which should become part of us in us trying to serve the Lord. What that means for us is that we should have a knowledge and an understanding of of what is pleasing and acceptable before the Lord and and we gain that by by reading his word and then we should make every effort to serve him in the way that we know is pleasing before him not through lots of different animal sacrifices but instead in the way in which we live our lives if we just go over to um, the book of Hebrews the very last chapter that's emphasised for us there in in chapter 13. The chapter is all about living pleasing lives before the Lord. But it also talks about people in New Testament times who felt it necessary for some reason to continue with the, the offering of animal sacrifices, just as they had always done. They were living in a transitional period. It was difficult for them to comprehend what Jesus had, had brought about in, through, through his sacrifice. And the writer here is, is reasoning that um, sacrifice is no longer necessary. And the chapter concludes with these words. Well, uh, he's drawing to a conclusion. Verse 15. Through him then, that's Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good. And to share what you have. And I, we were thinking about that this morning, weren't we? For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So we're being told that the sacrifices which we're required to offer in our lives of service to the Lord. Um, and we're, we're being told that in all that we say and do, we should be giving praise to the Lord. Our lives should be a sacrifice in service to the Lord. And if we just go back to to Romans in chapter 12, I think this is for our last reference now. That's exactly what we read. So Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And this is what Paul writes. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, so set apart, and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So our sacrifices should be the offerings of of words and actions rather than that of offering animal sacrifices. And it's the way in which we live our lives now, if it is that we're seeking to serve the Lord, that should show our fellowship with God and with each other.
throughout the ages, there's been a temptation to think that making Old Testament-style sacrifices to God brings about God's favour, along with the reasoning that our personal sinfulness must in some way be paid for through personal sacrifice. That's where the modern idea of a peace offering comes from, as in that bunch of flowers for the wife to say sorry. But as hopefully we've seen, our service or our living sacrifices for the Lord aren't to gain his favour, but they're in response, in acknowledging what God has done for us in giving Jesus as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So if we're trying to serve the Lord in our lives, then we should all be offering peace offerings day by day in our daily service for the Lord. We should be recognising God's provision through our thankfulness. We should be celebrating the vows of service which we've each made in when we committed our lives to the Lord. And we should be giving praise to God by trying to reflect a little more of the character of the Lord Jesus in how we live out our faith. Well, there's much more then to the idea of a peace offering than perhaps we, we first thought. The bunch of flowers is still important. It has its moments. But even more important is an appreciation of God's provision for each of us through the giving of his son as a sacrifice to take away the sin of the world and the wonderful opportunity which that gives each one of us to share fellowship with God and be at peace with him in our lives. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirtchristadelphians.org. Dot uk. Mm-hmm.